And turn with me to Mark chapter 5 for today's scripture reading. We'll be starting in verse 1, reading through verse 20. Mark chapter 5. If you need a pew Bible, please feel free to use one in front of you, located there on the back of the pews, and you can find today's scripture reading on page 998. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. I'll be reading through verse 20. Follow along as I read. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not do with me, Jesus, Son. Excuse me, I apologize. I just read the same line. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Father, Lord, we come to you this morning, Father. We humble our hearts, Lord, asking that you would search our hearts, Father. Speak to our hearts, Lord. May we set aside our burdens, may we set aside our cares this morning to hear your word, the preaching of your word. Lord, that would move within us. We thank you, Lord, for your word, the truth of your word, the relevance of your word, even today and for all eternity. And it is in your son's name we pray. Amen. This is the story of the man from the tombs. He's one of the most terrifying men that Jesus will ever encounter 
during his ministry on this earth. Jesus and his disciples have just sailed across the Sea of Galilee to this Gentile region of the country. And as soon as they get out of the boat, they encountered a man who was possessed by a legion of demons. And this man is barely a man anymore. He has made his home among the dead, and by day and night he screamed, he howled, and he cut himself with knives. People in the town tried to restrain him with chains on his hands and ankles. But he broke out of them each time. He was alone. He was afraid. He was a terror to all those around him. In many ways, we might say he was a dead man walking. And it's all because he was possessed by a demon or a legion of demons. And yet, this story, this encounter that we are going to look at here this morning is really a a snapshot of all of our lives, all of our stories. For we are all captive to sin, but Jesus, praise the Lord, hallelujah, Jesus has the authority and he has the power to set us free from sin and its bondage. In fact, that is the big idea of this encounter that we're going to look at, this encounter with the man from the tombs that Jesus has with him. And so here's what Mark, the the author of this encounter, the gospel of Mark, here's what Mark wants us to see specifically, is that Jesus has absolute authority, absolute power to deliver those enslaved in this fallen world. In other words, to set people free even from demons. That is the authority and power that Jesus has. That is what Mark is showing us here in this encounter. Now, before we look at the details of this encounter, let's answer a couple of questions that might even already be running through your mind, and that is, are demons real? Is demon possession real? And if it is, can the demonized be delivered? Some people downplay the reality of demons, downplay the the reality of demon possession, calling it just a, a symbol of authority in, or the symbol of evil, I should say, in the world today. Others have suggested that demon possession was just a, a first century explanation for saying that this man here in this encounter was just suffering from a severe mental illness of some sort. But this encounter makes clear that demon possession is real. Listen, demons were were real to Jesus, and they were certainly real to this man. And so while some question the the very existence of demons, those who affirm a biblical worldview believe demons are real. In fact, Daniel Aiken, who is a professor at Bible College on the East Coast, gives this biblical summary of the demonic. He says this, first of all, that as to the origin of demons, demons are unclean spirits, fallen angels expelled from heaven as a consequence of the satanic rebellion. He also says that some of these fallen angels or demons are confined 
and some are allowed to continue activity among the dead. But all of these fallen spirits will eventually be judged and cast into hell. He goes on, he says, some of these demons can and do possess people. And as we will see in this encounter, demons exercise strange control over the human bodies they inhabit. The work of demons is to control the human personality, in some cases to bring bodily affliction or mental disorder. And then he says that since true Christians are, and we're thankful for this, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they may be confronted by demons, they may even be influenced by demons, but they cannot be possessed by demons. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit already possessing us, indwelling us. And then lastly, he says, Jesus cast out demons, delivering people from demon possession, but elaborate ritual was never used, and prolonged discussion with demons was never held. The announcement of Jesus' authority was enough to force demons to flee, and that is exactly what we see in this encounter with the man from the tombs. Now, this guy, he might just be the scariest dude in all the Bible. And yet, because of the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, he is set free from a legion of demons and actually becomes a missionary for Jesus Christ. And while us here, you particularly, may, you may not be demon-possessed, although I have to admit there were times Darla and I wondered if our two boys were demon-possessed. Maybe I'm not the only parent like that. But anyways, you may not be demon-possessed here this morning, but we do identify with him, or at least we should identify with this man, because we, all of us here, we need Jesus to deliver us, to set us free from sin and its consequences and its bondage, and to change our lives. We see a legion of demons here, violently possess this man, and yet at the same time, they are deathly afraid of Jesus Christ. In fact, I just love the, the idea here that these demons hate everything about Jesus, and yet they are powerless to do anything apart from his sovereign permission. And so know this, that Satan and his minions can do nothing apart from God's permission. We know that because we can go to the Old Testament in the book of Job where Satan had to approach God permission to impact or influence and even bring suffering to Job and his family. And so, yes, Satan, even today, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, even using his fallen angels to accomplish that. But he is a lion on a leash, and Jesus holds the leash. So demons do not have all authority. Jesus does. That's what Mark is showing us here in this encounter. Jesus is Lord over the demons. Because he alone has all authority and all power, not demons. So let us break this down. Let us look at it here, this encounter. First of all, what we see here is that Jesus confronts this man who is possessed by demons. Let me set the scene for this confrontation with this demon-possessed man. At the end of chapter 4, 
Jesus and his disciples leave the, the huge crowds of people that are following Jesus, and they, they sail across the Sea of Galilee when this great windstorm arose, and the disciples began to panic in the midst of it. They thought they were going to die. Jesus rebukes the wind, he calmed the sea, and he does so just with his words when he says, Peace, be still. And immediately the wind ceased, and there was a great calm, and the disciples are a little freaked out by that. And so they begin to ask each other in verse 41 of chapter 4, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And the disciples now are about to find out here in chapter 5. The very answer to that question, when Jesus confronts this demon-possessed man from the tombs, look what it says in verse 1 here, immediately after verse 41 of chapter 4. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Now, this is Gentile region on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. It is also called the Decapolis. We know that at the very end in verse 20 here. And Decapolis simply means ten cities. Gadara was one of those ten cities. It was a major city in this region. And along the coastline of this city were these cavernous tombs that were dug out of the limestone cliffs not far from the shoreline. Mark begins to tell us now in verses 2, look at it. He says, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him, night and day among the tombs, and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, let me just draw out a few observations from what we just read here. Mark is giving us a description of this demon-possessed man. It's not by accident. Mark wants us to know something about while these demons are in submission to Jesus' power, they still do have power. So notice it. First of all, this man was unclean. You say, well, why was he unclean? Because he was possessed by an unclean spirit. That's the terminology that Mark uses in verse 2. And we find out later that he was possessed by a legion of unclean spirits in verse 9. And so it is rather heart-wrenching to think the devil could so defile someone who was created in the image of God, and yet that is what Satan and his demons do. So he's unclean because the unclean spirits now possess him. Number two, the man was untamable. Now, the man's uncleanness wasn't his biggest problem. As one commentator says, he was tormented every moment by this focused power of hell within him. In other words, this man's condition was so bad that he was exiled from human society. He was forced to live among the dead in the tombs. The evil in him was so great that he was unable to be bound with shackles and chains. He's untamable. People tried to protect themselves. They they actually tried to protect him from himself, from the evil inside of him. But no one, Mark says, had the strength to subdue him. As a result, this 
this man descended into a life of filth and loneliness and terror. People feared him because of his demonic strength, but make no mistake, they did not respect him. And then a third observation we find is this man was in unceasing anguish and pain and suffering. How Mark describes the condition of this demon-possessed man, let me tell you, it's heartbreaking. Notice again how Mark describes it, the words he uses here in verse 5 in particular. He says, night and day. In other words, Mark is telling us there is absolutely no rest, no peace for this man. Night and day. Among the tombs and on the mountains. In other words, Mark is saying there's absolutely no escape for this man. Everywhere he goes, he's haunted by this misery and horror of demon possession. So there's no rest, there's no escape. And Mark says now he was always. In other words, it never stopped. It was unceasing. He crying out and cutting himself with stones. In other words, this man here experienced misery upon misery. His life was dominated by the powers of hell, so much so that he tried to numb his pain through self-harm by cutting himself continually, but nothing worked. I actually think what we see here in verse 5 are these failed attempts by this man to end his pain and suffering by suicide. Living in such a constant torment, he tried again and again and again and again to end his unbearable existence with death. And this is certainly consistent with what we know about Satan. After all, Satan's purpose for our lives, when Jesus says of the devil in John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the very beginning. A little later in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus will say the thief, in reference to Satan, he comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that's what Satan is trying to accomplish in this man. As one commentator writes, Perhaps the only thing that prevented his death was the last vestiges of the image of God in him and the common grace of God about him. Now, as we look at the tragic condition of this man, there's a warning I want to throw out to us all here this morning, and that is we must not say to ourselves or even to one another, Oh, what a poor soul he was. How unfortunate for him that he had to live like that. You see, when we see him, we should see ourselves. His condition is a picture of the human condition. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone is possessed by demons. I'm not saying that. Mark is not saying that. But the Bible says that we're all 
ruled by dark forces and principalities. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. He says that we're all blinded by the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. That we are in a lifelong slavery to the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. And so this demon-possessed man, it is a picture of all of our spiritual condition. We are all chained, or we're all born chained to evil. We are all living in the bondage of sin, not knowing what to do or where to run or how to be free. And so what Mark is wanting us to grab hold of here is that we, we hear, we are more like this man than we perhaps realize. And as you are well aware, when life seems this hopeless, some people think the only way to escape the pain they're going through is to rid themselves of this life they're in. As a society, we typically classify these people as severely depressed or perhaps even schizophrenic. And in some cases, it could be the result of demonic influence Demonic oppression, perhaps even possession. And similar to the townspeople, as we will see here in a minute, our society really doesn't know what to do with them. Other than trying to subdue people like this and keep them from hurting themselves. We just now today in our modern world, we have more advanced ways of doing it. We, we use medicine and counseling. In fact, preaching on this very same passage of Scripture, Trip Lee adds this insight. He says, medicine and counseling, listen, they are incredible gifts the Lord has given us. But while medicine can subdue us and counseling can make us think more rightly, only Jesus can make us whole. That's what Mark wants us to know about this encounter. That's what he's showing us here. He's also, at the same time, He's trying to show us the futility of the townspeople to actually help this man. As one pastor and author said in his sermon on this passage, no one could subdue him, help him, free him from the demonic torment he was experiencing. No one until the day he looked out on the water and saw a boat coming, and from that boat his deliverer would emerge to do what no one else could do. Set him free. And so listen, the only hope for this man, and the only hope for all of us here, the only hope for anyone outside of these walls all around the world, is if Jesus graciously and sovereignly decides to land his boat on the shores of our life, which is exactly what he did for this demon-possessed man. And when this man saw Jesus, Mark says he ran to him. He knew who to run to for help and deliverance. Jesus, the only one with absolute authority and power to set him free. And so Jesus confronts this man possessed by demons, and he does so as the only one with absolute power and authority to help him. Which brings us to our second point that we see here in this encounter where Jesus now conquers the legion of demons in the man. Now notice again what this man 
did in verse 6. Mark tells us, and when he saw Jesus from afar, what does he do? He ran and fell down before him. And then the demon yelled with a loud voice in verse 7, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you. In other words, that word adjure, it just simply means I, I implore you, I beg you, Lord, by God, do not torment me. And the demon reacted this way because what we read in verse 8, for he, that is Jesus, was saying, in other words, Jesus had already said this to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirits. And then we see in verses 9 and 10, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, again, a few observations here about the demon's reaction to Jesus when Jesus confronts him. First of all, notice this, the demons recognize the identity of Jesus Christ, which is just mind-boggling. They recognize the identity of Jesus. Now, let me just set the scenario here on this, this confrontation. This, this encounter is completely one-sided. So do not think in your mind this is a, a battle here between good, the forces of good with Jesus and the forces of evil. It is a battle, but it's not equal. This is one-sided. The demon-possessed man, notice that he must drop to his knees, but not as an act of worship. The demons are not worshiping Jesus here. Rather, dropping to his knees is simply an acknowledgement by them of Jesus' authority and deity. In other words, they know who Jesus is. And while the disciples, isn't this ironic, while the disciples actually questioned the identity of Jesus Christ in chapter 4, the demons had no confusion about it. They know who Jesus is. He is the Son of the Most High God. And isn't it ironic that the disciples' question in verse 41, who is this man, is now answered by a demon-possessed man. So get this also. Demons are not atheists. They acknowledge the truth of Jesus' identity, even though they still rebel against him as the son of the Most High God. This demon, he knows his very existence is at stake. And so now he goes on the defense in this very feeble attempt to defend himself when he basically asks Jesus, what do you want with me? I know who you are. I cannot stand up to you. You are more powerful than me. What do you want with me? In other words, this demon knows the gig is up and his time has run out, which is why, number two, the demons trembled at the power of Jesus. Now, this is interesting. Jesus asked the demon his name, and it's not because Jesus didn't know his name. Jesus knows all things. Jesus asked the demon his name in verse 9, and he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, Legion in that time 
was a unit of 6,000 Roman soldiers, which means this man was possessed, not necessarily by 6,000 demons. The emphasis, the point Mark is making, is that this man was, was possessed by many, many demons, thousands of demons perhaps, working as one evil force. That's a whole lot of power going on in this man. And so captured now by this alien army, this man's mind, his will, his emotions have all but been destroyed. These soldiers of Satan have trampled his soul and they now hold him captive. And his only hope was now in a deliverer whose authority and power were greater than what possessed him. And, of course, that deliverer was none other than who? Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God. Which is why this legion of demons trembled, fell down at his knees, because they were afraid of his power. In fact, it is really interesting in this encounter that three different times this demon pleaded for mercy from Jesus. In fact, you might have caught it when Dane read the passage for us. All throughout this encounter, there's a whole lot of begging going on. People are approaching Jesus and begging him. And it's not just in this encounter. We're going to see it next Sunday. It also happens in the, count, the encounter after this. All through chapter 5, you see this. They begged him. They begged him. They begged him. They begged him. Why? Because Jesus is the one who possesses all power and authority. And so three times the demon pleaded for mercy from Jesus. In verse 7, he begged Jesus not to torment him. In verse 10, he begged Jesus not to send them out of the country. And in verse 12, he begged Jesus to send them instead of out of the country into the pigs. And so the tormentor is now the tormented as this legion of demons contemplate their destiny. And in the parallel passage in Luke's gospel, Luke is much more specific in verse chapter 8, verse 38, where Luke says of these demons, they begged Jesus not to banish them to the abyss. The abyss is simply a a place of spiritual confinement before their final eternal judgment for demons. They know, in other words, during this encounter here, that their doom and their destruction is coming, and there's nothing that they can do to reverse that. Therefore, we see number three, the demons submitted to the authority of Jesus. These demons know that Jesus has the authority to dispose of them at his very will. That's why they beg Jesus in verses 11 and 12. Look at it. Notice it again. See it in your Bibles. It says, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying... Please, please, Lord, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. You say, why would they be begging Jesus to do that? Because the time of their final destruction wasn't yet at hand. And now Jesus gives them permission to go into the pigs instead of sending them to the abyss. And notice what happens when the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs in the rest of verse 13. Look at it. It says, in the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, you just got to kind of step back and, 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 and just imagine in your minds the drama of all this. 
there's 2,000 pigs stampeding down a cliff and into the sea. In fact, this is the first recorded case of deviled ham. I know, it was bad. Now, on a more serious note, some of you might be wondering, what is up with these pigs? What what in the world is going on with these pigs in this encounter? Some people have even accused Jesus of wrongdoing here, saying that he didn't show any compassion to these pigs, nor to the owners of the pigs. So why did Jesus send the demons into the pigs? Why not just send them into the abyss? Well, first, let me say the Bible doesn't tell us. We, did, we, don't, we didn't read it here in verse five, chapter 5, did we? So Mark does not tell us. Luke, the parallel encounter, does not tell us. In fact, a shorter encounter in Matthew doesn't tell us either. But I do think we can, we can know some things about why this happened. This much is certain. Okay, Jesus is making it clear to us here that the ultimate goal of these demons is to do what? To kill and to destroy. What the demons could not get the man to do was now easily accomplished in these pigs. I think a second reason is this. Another thing tells us here, Jesus was providing proof that he has authority and power over demons. After all, when the townspeople saw the dead pigs floating in the sea, and when they saw this man restored to life, no one could deny Jesus' power over the demons. And then I also think Jesus was giving a lesson in the value of human life here. Listen, by his actions, Jesus was saying that this man is worth far more than a herd of pigs. In other words, Jesus had more compassion for one man made in the image of God than he did for 2,000 pigs that do not bear his image. One commentator tells us why people would question Jesus' actions here. Listen to what he says. Only in a culture of death where human life is denigrated, do people value animals more than people? I could elaborate on that because our culture is living that out. They have reversed this, the order of what God has created it to be. We're seeing it played out all over our culture. The sudden death of 2,000 pigs As you might imagine, it was now big news has spread rapidly throughout the countryside. But the biggest story was what happened to this demonized man. This miracle, though, was not greeted with joy by everyone, if you can imagine. Check out the response of the townspeople in verses 14 through 17. Along with the owners of the pigs, it says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg. There's another instance of people begging Jesus to depart from their region. And so what a very disappointing response we just read there. In fact, it's a tragic response. It's a sad. In fact, this has got to be one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. That very last verse we just read. This man, listen to me, who was once living among the dead, naked and screaming, cutting himself and crying out for relief, is now sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. It's a miracle. And you would think the townspeople would be rejoicing that this man has now been set free and restored to new life. But no, they wanted Jesus, yes, to solve their problems of this demon-possessed man, but to save their pigs at the same time. The townspeople chose their pigs more than the power of Jesus, and they asked Jesus to leave their region. Their response can be summed up in two words, afraid and angry. Afraid and angry. The townspeople were afraid of the power of Jesus, and they are angry at the loss of their pigs. The townspeople were afraid of the power of Jesus. Listen, people, even today, they see the power of Jesus Christ, and they they just don't know what to make of it. They don't know how to respond to it, what to do with it. And likewise, when the townspeople were confronted now with the holy power of Jesus Christ, they were afraid and wanted Jesus to leave. Why? Because the fear of the one who can cast out demons by a mere word was more than they could handle. After all, what else can this Jesus do? Man, if Jesus can change a man like that, what might he want to do with me? He might upset the status quo in my life, my comfort our community, our city. He might change what I like in my sin. You see, they were afraid of Jesus' power. They didn't understand Jesus, but they knew they could not control Jesus. And so they begged Jesus to leave them rather than change them. What about us? What about you? Has Jesus' authority, has his power threatened your way of life? Has his truth in his word, does it threaten your your lifestyle, your comfort, your security in any way? It does. It does for all of his disciples. So the question then is, do you love the sin in your life more than you love the freedom that he offers you? And so the townspeople were afraid of the power of Jesus because they didn't want that power to change them and their status quo of their life and their way of living. The townspeople were also, because of that, they were angry at the loss of their pigs. When the townspeople looked at the man, there is no doubt, listen, a miracle had occurred. But evidently the pigs mattered more than this man. But to Jesus, the man mattered way more than the pigs. You see, they couldn't handle this man's new life at the expense of their pigs. So instead of rejoicing, they were angry about it. 
Now, again, let me just stop and say that if the death of the pigs offends you, you need to consider this. The final cost for defeating evil lay not in the death of these imperfect animals, but in the death of the one perfect man, Jesus himself. Yes, these herdsmen, they suffered loss. No doubt about it. For the healing of this demon-possessed man. But Jesus will suffer, and he did way, way more for all of humanity. He bore our sins and the punishment that we were supposed to take on the cross when he died there and then resurrected. And we're thankful for that. In the end, the townspeople, they begged Jesus to leave because he was simply bad for their business. And they were right. When we submit our lives to the authority of Jesus Christ, it will never be business as usual in our lives. Which brings us to the third point here that we see. Jesus commissions the man delivered from demons. Jesus' work never stops with us. Jesus delivers us so that we might tell others that he can deliver them too. And so notice this madman now turned missionary for Jesus. First of all, he was changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And we we ought to rejoice in that, right? We ought to rejoice in that, right? Because you and I, we are changed by that very same power. Listen, the good news of the gospel is that Everyone who runs to Jesus will be rescued from the grip of sin and be restored to new life in him. Listen, Jesus came to die on the cross as our substitute, taking the evil of our sin on himself so that we here, we might be set free as well as others who are not yet set free. And so everyone now who stops trusting in themselves and puts their trust in Jesus will be changed by the power of Jesus Christ, just like this man was. This encounter teaches us that even if your life is far, far, far out of control, Jesus has the power to deliver and to change. And so admit that you cannot change on your own and then cry out for his saving grace in your life. Second of all, he was then committed to the person of Jesus. We see this in verse 18. It says, and he, that is Jesus, he's now getting into the boat. And the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Now, all through this encounter, I hope you've seen it, Mark is is drawing a contrast and comparison through different players in this encounter. And once again, we see a contrast. Immediately, back-to-back verses here. And the contrast is this. In verse 17, the townspeople begged Jesus to what? Leave. But this man, he begged Jesus to what? To let him be with Jesus. And so like a true disciple, this man, he wanted to be with Jesus and and go where Jesus went. He longed to be where Jesus was. Why? Because he was changed by the power of Jesus. He's committed to the person of Jesus Christ. He wants to be in connection, in community with Jesus Christ. Is that us? 
Does that describe you? You've been changed by Jesus? How's, do you, what's your relationship like? Do you want to be with him? And yeah, we might not be able to be with Jesus in person, like Jesus was here in, in the, his ministry on earth, but we can be with Jesus spiritually through the Holy Spirit that dwells us and through his word and through his body. Is that your desire? Or do other things take priority over that? Other things that come in, they always trump and supersede your longing to be with Jesus. To interrupt your quiet time. To to do away with it. To be here with community with others. He's committed because he was changed. Changed people are committed disciples. And then three, he was consumed with proclaiming Jesus. Jesus denied this man's request to go with him. And we might be wondering why. Why would he do that? You would think Jesus would want him. He allowed 12 disciples, after all, to follow him around, to to be with Jesus 24-7 for three years. Why wouldn't he allow this one, this new disciple, to be with Jesus? Personally, physically, because Jesus had other plans for this man. And that is to go and tell others what I, the Lord, have done for you. And so notice the mission that Jesus sends him on in verse 19. He says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so Jesus tells this guy, start where you live. Just go home and tell your family and your friends what Jesus has done for you. In other words, just tell your testimony. You were lost and now you've been found. You were in bondage to Satan, but now you belong to the Son of God. Just just share with everyone and everyone where you live and where you play and where you work what Jesus has done for you. Imagine the excitement in this man's heart as he he got closer to home. Remember, he's been living in the tombs among the dead. And now for the first time in who knows how long, he gets to go back home to his family. Perhaps he has a wife and a kid. And perhaps he's wiping the tears from his eyes. And the man looks at his wife and kids and begins to say, I met a man named Jesus. He is the son of the Most High God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. He delivered me from the evil one and gave me new life. Wow. What an incredible story of Jesus' authority and power to set people free in this fallen world. So let me leave you with three lessons, three life lessons from the man from the tombs that we can apply immediately today. Number one, Jesus can save anyone. Jesus can save anyone. Listen, this story screams out that there is no one too far gone for Jesus to save. Are you thankful for that? Because I know some of you know people who you've probably thought, I don't know if there's any hope for that person. Can he be redeemed? Can he be changed? Can he be set free and delivered? I don't know. That's what I'm begging God for. You keep begging God to do it. 
to intercede, to, to pull up on the shores of his heart and to change his heart from the inside out, to remove Satan's blinders from their eyes so that they can see how powerful Jesus is as the Savior and the Son of the Most High God and see their need for salvation. Do not give up. Jesus can save anyone. Jesus came for people who are bound in chains, oppressed by the enemy, and isolated from the love of community. Listen, he can set us free. He can adopt us into his family through the power of his death and resurrection. Jesus can save anyone. No one is too far gone from the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, Jesus can overcome any evil. This man was possessed by how many demons? A legion, many demons. That is a whole lot of power, but Jesus was powerful to set him free. He won the battle for this man's soul. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus conquered Satan and his demons. And yes, we know, we understand that they continue, even today, to rebel against God and that there is still sin and evil in this world that runs rampant. We understand that, but we also know the end of the story. That when Jesus returns, he will finally defeat sin and Satan once and for all. So today, no matter how bad or how deep or enslaved you are to sin, you can find hope and you can find freedom in Jesus Christ. So run to Jesus. Do not try to subdue yourself through medication, through addictions, through sex, through stuff, through money, through whatever the culture of our world offers you. Turn to Jesus. Run to him and fall at his knees, acknowledging he is the only one that has the power to change me from the inside out and to set me free. And then last of all, Jesus can use your story. He wants to use your story. Your story, listen, I understand, it may not be as dramatic as this man's story. Yeah, I was once demon-possessed, and I'm set free. Who can match that, right? I get it. But you know what? Your story, nonetheless, is just as miraculous if you've been set free from sin and you have been changed by Jesus Christ. Your story, listen, it is a miracle worth telling. And God can use to bring other people to saving faith in Jesus so go tell your story to family and friends. Talk about how much the Lord has done for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you for this encounter that's recorded for us in your Gospels. Thank you for giving us a glimpse here of your power and your authority as the Most High God. As one who cares for us, who wants to intervene in our lives and set us free. And so, Lord, thank you for saving me from the power of Satan and sin. Help me and others here in our church, all of us here, to be bold and courageous in telling others what you have done for us. You have done a work that can only be explained by your grace and mercy in the gospel. And so help us to be bold in sharing that. And may you do a work that only you can do. 
In your name I pray. Amen.